You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message. Do you want a better life? Do you want to live out your purpose? Do you want the fulfillment that comes with achieving your destiny? Do you want to live a life of real significance? I know you do. But to do so, we need to know some things about ourselves and about God. First, our God is a God of glory. As we've noted, God's glory is the perfection of all his attributes. And you were made for glory. That's our destiny in Christ. I believe that most if not all, of the drives and motivations in your life are connected to the desire for glory. Even something as mundane as the glory of a good meal and a full stomach is connected. Because of sin, however, something of the glory of God is missing in our lives. And so we strive and we struggle, we strain for a restoration of that glory. So we need a divine perspective. And to get that, we would enormously benefit from Guess what? A greater awareness of the glory of God himself, the glory you were made to experience. Why settle for a lesser glory? Now, Peter, James, and John had a dramatic experience of the revelation of Jesus' glory that the other disciples didn't get to see. And it's called the transfiguration, where Jesus' appearance was changed right before their eyes. And it was life-changing for them. Now, It's interesting that John in his gospel doesn't write about the transfiguration, but he does say right at the beginning of his gospel in John 1, 14, this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Peter later on refers to the experience in order to validate his message and ministry. So in 2 Peter, years later, chapter 1, verse 16 and following, Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now the Gospels of Matthew and Mark do contain the story of the transfiguration, but Luke's Gospel puts more emphasis on the glory of Jesus in his account. So for our glorious series, which one do you think we'll use? Matthew, Mark? Hmm, You're right. We're going to use Luke's. So let's look, look at Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 28. About eight days after Jesus said this, that is, after saying that he would suffer and die and that to be his disciples we must pick up our cross daily and then that he would come back in glory for those who weren't ashamed of him. So after he said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. 
two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Luke adds, he did not know what he was saying. While he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. A voice came from, uh, when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. First, we've got to take note of this. Jesus went to pray. Luke strongly emphasizes Jesus' prayer life. I heard someone once describe the gospel of Luke as the story of Jesus going from one place of prayer to another place of prayer and then doing miracles in between. If we want a greater life-changing experience of the glory of God, a good idea is to meet Jesus. Where? In the place of prayer. No great spiritual revival, no great spiritual awakening will happen apart from prayer. And whenever God gets ready to send a spiritual awakening, he always starts by moving his people to prayer. Jesus' call to the mountaintop was a call to prayer and to an experience of God's glory in him. In my own experience, the experience that I had of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, it was not a result of a call to be filled with the Spirit. Though there's nothing wrong with that. It's a command of Scripture, be filled with the Spirit. But my experience of being filled with the Spirit was a result of a call to prayer. I went to a little church, this is while I was still in college, that had a satellite dish and was showing a live sermon from Paul Yonggi Cho, pastor of the world's largest church. And in his sermon, he taught on the power of prayer, the power of prayer to bring revival to a whole nation. And I was gripped by that message and by a need to pray. And you probably know from my previous tellings of this same story that when I got back to the college campus, I ran to my dorm room, got on my knees and began to pray. And after just a few minutes, I found myself praying in a language I had never learned. It was glorious. And that was followed by about four hours of walking and praying over that whole college campus. And that campus experienced the glory of God in that summer program for high school students where I, at the time, was serving as a counselor. In fact, those kids so much experienced that the glory of God that one of the professors said to me, at the end of these five weeks, these kids aren't going to have anything to show for it because they've been doing so much religious stuff. Well, something supernatural happened among those kids, and I believe that my own experience of glory had something to do with that, and it started with prayer. Also, as Jesus prayed, guess what? Something supernatural happened. Let's look again at verses 29 through 31. Verse 29. As he was praying, as he was doing what? As he was praying, 
the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Notice this, Jesus' face changed and his clothes became bright as a flash of lightning. And this is Jesus' glory. And it's not something that was added to him. It's the glory that was already in Jesus. It just came out. But then two others appeared also with glory. And their glory was a result of coming from the realm of glory. It was Moses and Elijah who had come from heaven. Why Moses and Elijah? It's because Jesus had come to fulfill their ministry. Jesus' ministry is in continuity with their ministry. Moses is often seen as, what, the giver of the law. And Elijah was a great prophet. And in them you had the embodiment of the major portions of Scripture, the law and the prophets. And they also had glorious experiences of their own when they were on earth before. Moses, you might recall, would meet with God and then he would reflect God's glory to the people of Israel. And another key aspect of Moses' ministry that was fulfilled by Jesus was that Moses was not only the giver of the law, he was the great deliverer of Israel, to deliver them from bondage. And Luke makes clear early on that Jesus' ministry is a ministry of deliverance. Jesus is a great deliverer too. He came to set captives free. And Elijah he was a great prophetic figure. <laughs> he, he called down fire on Mount Carmel. He was taken up in glory by a chariot of fire without ever experiencing death. So they're there talking to Jesus. What did they talk about? Verse 31 says, they spoke about his departure. Now the word for departure used here is the same word used in the Septuagint. Uh, the Septuagint, I know, it's a big word, it's a strange word, but it's the Greek translation of the Bible that was used in Jesus' day. So the word for departure in the Septuagint is the same word used for Israel's exodus from Egypt. So they were talking about Jesus' exodus. And that probably has a double meaning. One meaning points to Jesus' ministry of liberation from bondage. The other meaning refers to Jesus' own departure. He was getting ready to make his own exodus through his death, resurrection, and then ascension into heaven. Here's something that's, I think, key for us. The manifestation of glory here is connected not only to Jesus' death, but to his ministry of release from bondage. I think we need to keep our desire for the glory of God, and we should have a strong desire for God's glory to experience it. But we have to keep that desire connected to Jesus' ministry of release from bondage. I know I'm jumping ahead, but we'll soon see that Peter seemed to want to just stay up there on the mountain, the mountaintop experience. He just wanted to keep it going, the glory of God. He wanted to stay in that. And then if we were to keep reading in Luke's gospel, we would see that while Jesus and Peter and James and John were up on the mountain experiencing glory, the other disciples were down below. What were they doing? They were unsuccessfully trying to set a boy free from the bondage of a demon that frequently seized him and convulsed him. Jesus couldn't stay up on the mountain. He had to go to where the ministry of deliverance was needed, and neither could the three disciples stay up there either. Jesus had a mission to go to. What was his mission? The cross. 
And he, along with the disciples, had a mission to set people free from bondage, bondage of all kinds. Now, in the past, we here at Victory Church have had some ministries geared towards setting people free from bondage. And what I'm praying for is that in the coming weeks and months, especially as we anticipate a great awakening, that we take ministries of freedom and deliverance to whole new levels. After all, if we do have that spiritual awakening, we're going to have a lot of people coming into the family of God who will need freedom ministry. So let's get ready for the glory of God. And as we're getting ready for that, we have to be getting ready to see people set free from bondage. That's what Jesus' glory is connected to in this passage. And then the passage continues by saying that they saw his glory. Let's look at verses 32 and 33. It says, Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, in other words, this was not a dream, not just a vision. When they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then once again, we see that Luke adds, he did not know what he was saying. In other words, there's a problem with what Peter's proposing here. And I think there are at least three problems with Peter's mindless statement here. Number one, Peter seemed to be limiting the glory of God to a particular place. I think we Christians do that all the time. We want to, you know, have an experience of the glory of God, and we think, you know, then that experience always has to be connected to that particular place or that particular kind of service or that particular environment. Number two, Peter wanted to stay in a place of glory rather than go on to the mission to which they were called. Jesus was called to the mission of the cross, resurrection, and ascension, and the disciples they were called to their ministry of the cross too. Because you might recall that in the verses right before the transfiguration, Jesus had said to his disciples that to follow him, we have to pick up our cross daily. So Peter wanted to stay. But there's one more problem that's even bigger. One more problem with Peter's proposal to build three shelters that's even bigger than either of those other two. But while Peter's speaking, he's interrupted. He's interrupted by a cloud. And I'm going to interrupt this list with that same cloud. So let's look at the next verses, beginning with verse 34. While he, that is Peter, was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Do you see what the third problem with Peter's proposal to build three shelters is? The biggest problem with Peter's proposal is not limiting God's glory to one place. It's not wanting to stay in the place of glory. The biggest problem is that by wanting to build shelters for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, is that Peter was putting Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. But the voice that speaks from the cloud speaks only of Jesus. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And then Jesus was alone. Moses and Elijah weren't there anymore. Jesus therefore, is at a whole different level of glory. 
And Jesus' ministry may fulfill Moses' ministry, and it may fulfill Elijah's ministry, but it's at a whole different level. Jesus is at such a different level, we make a huge mistake to equate him with Moses or Elijah. Or, to bring it up to date, to equate him with a right-wing politician. Or to equate him with a left-wing social activist. Folks, we in the church today need a revelation of Jesus, the chosen one, the Son of God. We need to see Jesus. Now, there's a word that's included in verse 30 that's not included in most contemporary translations or it's handled in a different way. But the beginning of verse 30 is, Behold! What's going on there? Why does Luke say, Behold? It's because he, as a narrator, is speaking to you, speaking to me, speaking to the reader. He's saying, Behold, look, see what is happening here. In other words, see it for yourself. Luke is being intentional. He wants to take you on a journey, a journey of understanding the identity of Jesus. See, if you go back and read all of chapter 9, we have then progressed from an earlier question in the chapter, a question posed by Herod, when he asked, who is this? And then we progress in chapter 9 to Jesus' questions. Same chapter, same chapter we're studying, and Jesus asked his disciples, who do the crowd say I am? That's verse 18. And then verse 20, he says, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Speaking to his disciples. But now we get to the definitive answer. Who is Jesus? Jesus is who the Father says he is. My son, my chosen one. And here, here's the key point for us. You've got to grasp this. An experience of the supernatural, an experience of God's glory must be accompanied by a revelation of Jesus' identity, or there's no point to it. What's the point of having a spiritual experience, but we don't get to know Jesus any better? What's the point of, you know, having spiritual goosebumps or even seeing something, but don't get a deeper revelation of who Jesus is? Jesus' transfiguration was for his disciples' benefit, to let them know something. It was not for Jesus. It was for the disciples so that they could really know who he was because they needed to know to get ready for the next stage of their journey that would include the cross and that would include Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension and include their taking up the cross. See, the declaration of Jesus' identity really should be accompanied with an understanding of who Jesus is. But it should also be accompanied with the understanding that a declaration of Jesus' identity comes with a command. What was the command here in this passage? Listen to him. Listen to him. That's really a primary purpose for this revelation. Again, what's the point of asking God to show us his glory if we're not going to know him better and if we're not going to respond by listening? In this account, they see the glory, but it's followed by hearing. And hearing in Scripture always implies obedience. If you don't obey, you haven't really heard God. Before asking to see God's glory in Exodus, Moses says to God, show me your ways. Again, I ask, what's the point of asking for the glory of God if you're not going to follow in God's ways? 
I think that's the problem when Jesus points out that it's a wicked and adulterous generation that asks for a sign. It's a generation that asks for a sign, but has no intention of obeying God's voice, has no intention of responding to the revelation. So we want to experience God's glory, but we want the kind of experience of God's glory that changes our lives. This is the kind of experience with God that points you to your destiny. A key element in this story is the cloud. I think it's really interesting that the disciples weren't afraid before the cloud showed up. They weren't afraid when Jesus' face changed. They weren't afraid of his glorious appearance like lightning. They weren't afraid of the glory of a dead guy, Moses, or Elijah, a guy who hadn't died but was now back from heaven. They were afraid as they entered the cloud. The cloud was coming for them. Mm. I think I've seen that cloud. There's another story that I have to tell. And part of the reason I maybe tell these stories frequently over the course of my ministry, repeatedly, is because some of these kinds of experiences of the glory of God are once-in-a-lifetime kinds of stories. You, you need these kinds of experiences perhaps at certain pivotal moments in your life. And this happened while I was in seminary. And uh, I don't know what was going on. I, I really was experiencing wonderful things. I was in a great spiritual environment, but I was frustrated. I was just so frustrated with where I was. And even though I was studying and training and learning about God and was in a great church, I, I wasn't experiencing God the way I felt like I wanted to or needed to. And, and I was just wondering, God, are you even there in my life? It was really that kind of spiritual desperation. It's unexplainable, but I had that kind of spiritual desperation. And it was probably 9 or 10 o'clock at night, and I went to this fence that was at the edge of the apartment community where we live there at Oral Roberts University. And I, I just grabbed that fence and I shook it and I yelled out, I yelled out, God, where are you? And no sooner had I said that than right before me appeared a wall. And that might sound crazy, but I'm telling you, it was a wall and it was coming toward me. And within just seconds of crying out to God, I was enveloped by a thick fog. It wasn't like this fog just gradually rolled in. I'm telling you, it was a wall where one minute I was outside of it, and the next second I was surrounded by this cloud that was so thick I could not see a building about 30 or 40 yards away. It was that thick. And I knew, I knew what was happening, that the glory of God, which in Scripture is very often associated with a cloud, had surrounded me. God answered my cry. He was there for me. Now, I didn't receive any answers. I didn't get any specific direction from God. But I knew from that experience that God was with me. And God was not going to let me down. And even as I think about that experience right now, I am just filled with a sense that God's with me now and he still has a plan. But I'll tell you this, 
I might not have the same experiences of glory over and over and over again, but we are going from glory to glory. And I'm ready for a fresh experience of the glory of God. How about you? Are you ready? I hope so, because God's wanting to show you His glory. If you have never made a decision to receive Christ, that's so important. God has made you to experience His presence. It's not weird. It's not spooky. It is supernatural. But He's made you to experience His presence. You might not see it. You might not experience it in the same way as in the story that we've just covered. But you can know His presence in your life. But the hindrance to knowing God's presence and to really living out the life for which you were created is our sin. But Jesus went to the cross to take all the sins of humanity, including my sin and your sin, upon Himself. And if we simply trust in who Jesus is, that He's the Son of God, that He died for our sins, that He was raised from the dead, and that He reigns as Lord over all the universe now. The Bible says you can be saved. So I want to ask you just just to pray right now, to express your faith in Jesus and to invite Him to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray this? Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your love. I thank You for Your Son, Jesus. I believe He died, He was raised from the dead, and He is Lord. Forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Help me live for You. If you prayed that prayer, welcome to the family of God. God has great things in store for you. We uh, just celebrate this tremendous life change that has just occurred. And we have some great things to help you to follow up. Get into a life group, get a Bible, get baptized. Somebody's going to come in just a couple of minutes to share with you some very important next steps. So again, welcome to the family of God and to all who are part of this service with us. Thanks for being with us. We are looking forward to the next time that we get to be together. God bless you. You're listening to the Victory Church Podcast. Here at Victory, we are called to equip a caring, committed community of worshipers to reach their world for Jesus. We hope you're encouraged by this week's message.